All right, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude. We're coming down to the end of the, of the book. There's a lot here, so it might take us a few weeks uh, to get through it all, but um, uh, today we start seeing some of the solution to the problem of false teaching. And so let's pray, and then let's get to work in the Word. Father, we need you, Lord. You see us. Um, from your perspective, we're all like little children. And it's tough for us to get our, to get our heads around your truth uh, for what it says and, and then, Lord, so critically, how to apply it to our lives. And, and so, God, we just confess we need you. We need your help. We need the help of the Spirit uh, to enlighten our understanding, to help us to know what your Word says, to know how to submit to it, and, and then, Lord, how to use it in the lives of people. And so, God, we're trusting that today will fall out uh, to our edification. Lord, build us up, equip us for the work. Lord, let it fall out to your glory because we don't just give mental assent to your truth, but, Lord, we purpose to live it out. Lord, I pray that every member of MBT will function as a minister, every member will function to build up the faith of their brethren. They're worth it, you're worth it. Your word is worth it. Uh, Lord, we wanna contend for the faith, so help us to do exactly that in these last days. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what we've been seeing so far in the book of Jude is a warning against false teachers, against apostasy. And in verses 14 and 15, right, the, the scripture just comes right out and says it, that the Lord is coming with 10,000s of his saints. Why? Verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then he just starts describing them. In verse 17, we saw the beginnings of our response, right? If we're gonna contend for the faith, verse three, what do we have to do? Well, we have to keep our focus on the word of God. Verse 17 says, Beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They've been telling you all along that these, the, the, this dangerous teaching, these, these dangerous false teachers would come in the last days. And so where we finished up last time is we had to recognize the reality of what we're facing What'd they tell you, verse 18, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Remember, that was how he opened the letter. Uh, in verse three, he tells us to contend for the faith. Why? Well, you've got people who are denying the grace of God. They're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They've got this relationship with Christ through the gospel, through his word, but then they're warping it, they're twisting it to satisfy themselves se sexually. Uh, outside of God's biblical bounds. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Well, how do they do that? How can anybody come to the place where they're doing that? Oh, they deny the Lord God. They deny the Lord Jesus Christ. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the Spirit. So the point that Jude is making is you were told that this coming, and so Jude just keeps showing us how to identify false teachers and workers of sin. So in verses 20 through 23, 
he again reminds us of what the believer's response should be. You know, false teachers be teaching falsehoods. Wicked workers be working wickedness. I mean, well, what do we do in the face of all of that? Verse 20 gives our reaction. How do we respond to that? It's through edification, that's what. Building up the faith of God's people, that's the answer to everything. You need to know what the Bible says so you don't fall for lies. You need to know what the Word of God declares over your life so that you don't end up sidestepping and slipping into sin. What's our response gonna be to false teaching in these last days? Remember, verse 17, right? The, the future is not uncertain. It is foretold in God's word. Remember the words. That's a key response. We have to remember. But next, if we're gonna respond correctly in the, in the face of the reality of apostasy, we have to focus on edification. So verse 20 says, Here, here's what you do. They're doing that. They're working wickedness. Verse 20, but you, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. So again, he brings us right back to verse three. Beloved, I, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation, but I couldn't do that, right? It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. See, instead of having a faith that we let apostates corrupt in verse four, right, by turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. No, we don't let that stand. We contend for the faith, verse three. We contend for the faith. We, I mean, if we're gonna fight for anything, it's for what the Bible says. More than that, verse 20 says, we have to make sure that every member is established in God's truth. You don't wanna go through your Christian life having fuzzy ideas about what the Bible might be, what it might be saying. You need to know it. You need to know what the Word of God says, and everybody in this room should be a part of helping you come to that acknowledging of the truth. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. The church at Thessalonica, they had liars telling them, right, that they were missing it in terms of the end times prophecies. Uh, forging letters is from the Apostle Paul. What were they doing? They were contending for the faith. So what do you do in the face of false teaching? What do you do when false teachers are abounding? Again, we gotta go back to Ephesians 4. This is, this is key, I, I keep saying this. Every member of the local church should know Ephesians 4 like the back of your hand. Why? These are marching orders for the local assembly. So there it is, verses 11 and 12. We've got the foundation of the word of God. God gives apostles and prophets. They gave us the scriptures. Evangelists, uh, they led us to Christ. Pastors, they're the ones that's making sure the discipleship work is taking place in your life. Verse 12 explicitly says that. For the maturing of the saints, right? For the perfecting of the saints. To equip us for ministry, for the work of the ministry. Here it is, for the edifying, right? For the building up of the church on our most holy faith for the edifying of the body of Christ. We all have to arrive to a place where we're unified in terms of what the faith is, what the Word of God says, what it teaches, unified in our knowledge of the Son of God. We as a local church should be, we should be aiming for maturity, conformity to the image of Christ. 
Why? Verse 4, liars be lying, wicked workers be working wickedness. We don't want to be like children, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And again, it's never been worse than it is today with the with the proliferation of false teachers on the internet, everybody has access to error 24-7 at ever-increasing volume. We don't want to be like children. You know, a little child gets knocked to and fro. I've, I, I told this story years ago. Uh, when I was a little child, there were, there was actually five siblings now, but at that time there were three of us, okay? We were little children, and a microburst popped up and tore the roof off of our house. Well, while this is going down, we're, you know, we're all country kids. We rode everywhere in the back of an open pickup truck. No seat belts, just your life is in your common sense to stay in the bed of that truck, right? I mean, that's, that's how we rolled. And my dad had one of those homemade, home-built wooden toolboxes that set up at the front of the bed. Uh, so he'd store his tools in there. And so we would ride on that, we would set on that. My memory is, that uh, the wind picks up big time. And we're hanging on to this wooden toolbox for dear life. I'm looking over and my little brother, his legs are like doing this. <laughs> my aunt, uh, thank God she's a big gal, she steps out of the, the cab of the truck and she starts pulling us in and putting us into the cab of the truck. Little children cannot stand up against the buffeting winds, can they? They'll just go right down. They're not solid. Why? They're not established. An adult knows how to lean into it. They know how to keep their feet, how to keep their balance. That comes with maturity. Well, a babe in Christ is ripe for any deception. We gotta do something about that, amen? Do you want anybody in this church to be led astray by false teaching? Well, guess what? You're responsible to make sure that doesn't happen. Stick with me, I'm gonna make my case. How do we solve this? Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom, watch this now, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Every connection in the church is supposed to be a potential of supply for building those members up in the faith. We're to be holding one another accountable to know what the book says, what the word of God declares over our life. It's according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, right? Every joint, every member maketh increase of the body unto the edifying, the building up of our faith, unto the edifying of itself in love. So Christian, listen. MBT church member, pay attention. If you are not helping us to build up this family, this church family in the faith, then you're outside of the will of God. Did you hear me? If you're not helping to build up the faith of your brethren, biblically, according to what we just read in Ephesians chapter four, you're outside of the will of God. You are wasting your life and your brother and your sister is in potential peril because you're not equipped. You're not helping to keep them established in what the word of God says. God designed it such that we need each other. Right? We need each other. We can't, we can't be everything that God intended for us to be without our brothers and sisters speaking into our lives. Turn to your brother, turn to your sister and say, you complete me. Right? 
You had me at hello. <laughs> Tell him I need you. <laughs> All right, nobody start making out. Okay, we got to get back in the word here. <laughs> if you're not functioning as a member, building up the faith of your brethren, you're outside the will of God. Can you see that? Well, I just want to attend. I just came to be encouraged. I just came to find someone decent to marry, to shack up with. I'm lonely. Uh, some of that's okay, not the shack up part. All the rest of it's on the menu. But that's not the only reason God has you here. Member, listen to me, member of MBT. God requires more from you. You know, some of you, you know why you're so miserable? It's because you're wasting your life. You're not plugged in. You're not, you're not functioning according to the design parameters of your creator. You're just going through the motions. You're playing Christian. And you're attending services and you're patting yourself on the back and you're not making a difference in the lives of people. I mean, at least help us watch the parking lot so people can attend freely without distraction on God's word. At least work in the nursery and change a diaper so moms and dads can attend on the word of God. Do something that helps us build up the faith of our brethren. Are you with me? Start somewhere. Know that, that, that you're contributing, that you're being a part. Now before you build, okay, the Bible says a lot about building. We're building up the faith, right? We're, according to verse 20, we're building up ourselves on our most holy faith. Well, the Bible tells you if you're gonna build, you have to first count the cost. Cost is your next blank. Luke 14, 28 says, for which of you, intending to build a tower, setteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it. What's this gonna cost you to matter at this level? Well, Jesus in the same passage tells us, verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Brothers and sisters, if you're gonna function according to the design parameters of your creator, that means you have to come to the place where you're gonna put it all on the line. All that I am, all that I have, it exists for God's glory, and nothing, so help me God, nothing, not even my own life. I mean, read, read Luke 14. Not even my own life will I allow to get in the way of being and doing what God called me to be and do. For some of you this morning, like you need to come to the altar now, quit playing, consecrate your life to the work, count the cost, lay your life down. Second, you gotta develop. If you're gonna build, you gotta build right. So you have to develop the required skill set. A lot of people end up building and they just make messes. We can't afford to do that. We can't be mess makers. We gotta, we gotta be equippers, amen? You gotta develop the required skill set. Check out Jeremiah 23. There you got a bunch of hacks playing at it and making a mess of the lives of God's people. Luke chapter six, verse 39, Jesus speaks this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? They shall both fall into the ditch. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect, that is mature, grown, equipped, right, shall be his master. So you gotta get trained. Okay, this is the church for you. From cost of discipleship, discipleship one, foundations, the, the foundation study in discipleship one, 
the next level discipleship, foundations two and three, LFBI, we're all about equipping you to know this book from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and to know not only what it says, but how to use it in the lives of people. You need to be equipped. Number three, once you start building, you better build right. That means you're, you're building on a right foundation. And uh, I don't think we have to belabor this point. 1 Corinthians 3.11 tells us the foundation that we're building on. You can't build on sand. When the storms come, what you build will collapse. It has to be built on the rock. Who is the rock? 1 Corinthians 3.11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ, amen? I mean, we gotta build on the rock. Number four, if we're gonna build right, we have to follow the correct blueprints, right? We gotta follow the right blueprints in building. If you've got blueprints for an airplane, you're not gonna build a house with it. You gotta follow the plan that God gave you, and we gotta follow it to the T. Okay, this is a very big deal, because according to Ephesians chapter two, uh, we are built, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It's that big a deal. Watch this now, verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Um, You're a stone in God's house. That means you need to be hewn correctly. You need, to be, you need to be properly fitted to the rest of the building. There's a blueprint that accomplishes that. It's critical that we get it right because this ministry, this local church, this is God's house. Don't build it the way you think is right. Don't do what you wanna do, do what God wants. What God said is right. So many ministries They do what's right in their own eyes, what makes sense, what's easy, what's convenient, and then the storms come, (laughs) it hits the proverbial fan and everything comes apart. A house built on the rock, built according to the proper blueprint, it will stand in the face of anything. This is why Jude says we have to build ourselves up on our most holy faith, not on our best ideas, the most noble feelings we can entertain, no what the book says. Acts 20, verse 32. Paul says it this way. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. It's the blueprint that builds us up. It's the plan, right? It's the word of God. That's what builds us up. So he says, I'm giving you over to the word of God to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You know, in any building project, there has to be a correct progression that takes place. You don't start building the roof first on a house, do you? That would just be stupid, right? We have to build correctly, we have to build properly, and you see that, I mean, this is just a couple of examples, but these progressions are all over the Word of God. In 2 Peter chapter one, verses five through eight, um, it, starts with, it starts with faith, but we gotta be diligent to add to our faith what? Virtue, that's the next step. Then, right, once we see they're following the, the faith that's been delivered to them, well now we start equipping them to faith knowledge, okay? And then you just see how it builds out in 1, 2 Peter 1. 
There's a progression that's taking place. And if we build properly, right? I mean, this is a key to victorious Christian living. Right? We add to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, patience godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that she shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And don't you want a fruitful, knowledgeable life in Christ? Don't you? I mean, I think you want that. You gotta follow the correct building plans. Hebrews 6 talks about um, moving forward in our faith, right? <laughs> Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let's go on to perfection. Let's not just stick with the foundational things, the ABCs, we need that. Those are critical, those are important. But you need everything that God has for you in his word. It's critical when you're building that we don't cause confusion, right? We gotta work as a team. So let's not cause any confusion in this work of building up our most holy, ourselves up in our most holy faith. First Corinthians 14, 26 says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. I mean, y'all are, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, and the result isn't edification, it's chaos. So he's, 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 he's speaking against this. When we come together, let all things be done unto edifying. It's like the choir, okay? The choir is leading us in worship this morning. If the harmonies get so complex, if they get so intricate and so detailed that you lose the melody, how's anybody gonna sing with them, right? If you can't hear a clear sound, how are we going to join with them and participate with them in worship? Does that make sense? I mean, it's fine that we've got many parts to make a whole, but they better make a whole, not a cacophony, amen? Right, we have to have a clear sound that we're following. We don't want chaos, we want edification. First Timothy 1.4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. Do that, just do godly edifying which is in the faith. So many today, they just don't know how to build and they end up making a mess of God's people. Again, it's the holy scriptures that enable us to build up ourselves on our most holy faith. It's not our opinions, it's not our speculations, it's not our feelings or imaginations, it's faith in what the book says, his word. That starts at salvation, 1 Peter 2, verse two, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Man, start right there with the milk of the word and, and then just let it keep nourishing you. Psalms 119, 103 says, how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Do you ever just read the Bible and just like, man, that tastes good. Man, spend some time meditating on it. The words are sweet. It's sweet to my taste. Yeah, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Honey, honey's pretty sweet. I gotta just tell you, okay, my wife can attest to this. Um, I love a set of good scrambled eggs, just like anybody else. Um, God's genius, he made an egg, okay? There's a lot you can do with that egg. I like wine scrambled, not too dry. Don't, don't dry them out, 
okay? You want to put a little water in there. You want to whip them up really good. Uh, you, want them to, you, you want to make them fluffy, okay? You don't want to dry them out, but you don't want them gooey and snotty. That's just disgusting, okay? Nobody wants to have boogers in their eggs. And so you, you do that just right. You know, that's great, but what really sets off a breakfast is one piece of perfectly toasted, per, uh, to, perfectly toasted toast. If you burn it, it's crazy. If you toast it right, but you don't butter it right away, why did you even try to make the toast? Okay, as soon as it comes out of the toaster, you get that butter on there, it melts in really good, everything's nice and even. Okay, now that canvas is ready for something. That's my dessert if I'm having dessert with breakfast. I'm trying to lose a little weight, so I haven't been doing it this much of late. But anyway, uh, there's three things. Um, frozen, like strawberry freezer jam. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but that stuff is crack. And you put that on that wheat toast, and oh my goodness, it's heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Apple butter or pumpkin butter, okay? One of those two go on a piece of toast. That's a great way to end a meal. But I think, I think my favorite is just a little bit of honey on it. It is so good. How many of you are thinking about breakfast for lunch today? Let me just get a show of hands. Yeah, okay. Um, come back. Okay, it's the word that we're talking about. It's delicious. It's wonderful. And just like you have to approach and process breakfast correctly, we need to approach and process the word of God correctly, don't we? Otherwise, we're going to end up with a sour taste in our mouth because we're reading it wrong. So you keep letting it nourish you. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let it build you up in your faith. And again, Acts 20, 32, Paul says, I'm commending you, church. I'm commending you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So not only do you get built up in your faith, there'll be reward at the judgment seat of Christ because you're not barren or unfruitful, right? You are fruitful in the knowledge of God's word. So study to show yourself approved unto God, 2 Timothy 2.15. Be a workman in the word. Get the right blueprints down. Now, if we do the job, okay, I want you to see the promise of God's word. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Man, isn't that good? To have a promise that we will be Overcomers, you know, in Christ we're overcomers, but it's also in our faith that we're overcomers. And then fifth, once you've built a building, okay, you have to dedicate it to the Lord. You know, in Israel, ancient Israel, when anytime they built a house, they would dedicate it to the Lord. Deuteronomy 20, verse five, gives you insight into this process. You build a house, you've not dedicated it, don't go to war, go back to your house, right? Lest you die in battle and another man dedicate it. You, what you've built, right, should be dedicated to the Lord. Well, guess what? God uses his people to build his house. Psalms 127 verse one says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in, in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And so God uses us to build his house. That's how it works. So nothing's changed. First Peter 2, 5, we're, li we're, we're living stones. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable 
to God by Jesus Christ. We're not to build the church that we want. We're to be building, right? God should be working in and through us to build the church he wants. Is everybody with me? Okay, so what do we do? We gotta be dedicated to him. I'll just invite you to go back and reflect on Luke chapter 14. Be consecrated to the work. Verse 20 finishes with, okay, it starts with the solution to false teaching is we build ourselves up on our most holy faith, but then look how the verse ends. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Now this is key, okay, the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to instruct our prayers. That's how this works. You wanna be praying in the Holy Ghost? Then we're gonna follow this principle. You know, the disciples asked the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray, 11, Luke 11, verse one. Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And then, Jesus makes an interesting statement in John chapter 14. I mean, he did teach them tactically how to pray. Um, a lot of people will refer to Luke and Matthew's account as the Lord's Prayer. But he gives incredible insight in John chapter 14, verse 25. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, right? While I'm with you, Jesus says, I'm teaching you. I've done, I've done a lot of teaching, but, verse 26, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom my Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. The canon of God's word will be completed. He's gonna teach you far more than I'm teaching you. He's gonna remind you of what I told you. So it's the Holy Ghost that does the teaching of God's people after Christ's ascension. Does everybody see that? Right, the Holy Spirit himself indwelling us. The Holy Ghost is our teacher. So the dynamic of how the Holy Ghost does this teaching it's revealed in comparing Paul's instruction to the churches of Ephesus and Colossae. Uh, if you've spent any time with us in the discipleship process, you know about this comparison. In Ephesians chapter five, when he's instructing Ephesus, he tells them that they have to be filled with the Spirit. He says, be not drunk with wine, Ephesians five eighteen, wherein is an excess. Verse 17 says, this is God's will, okay? but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, how do you know you're filled with the Spirit? He explains it, verse 19. It's by, if you're, I mean, what you're full of is what's gonna come out of you. And if you're filled with the Spirit, what will be evident in your life is verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then when Paul says the exact same thing to the church at Colossae, look at how he phrases it. Same thing, right? We need to be wise. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. What does that look like? Well, whatever's in you, that's what's gonna come out of you. What does it look like if the word of Christ is richly indwelling the life of the believer? Well, it'll come out of his life and it'll sound like verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So here's the truth that we gain by comparing scripture with scripture. We pray as the Holy Spirit fills and directs us, which happens as we read and respond in prayer according to his word. We read God's word, the Holy Spirit gives us insight into its truth 
And so then we communicate that back to God as a request. We want the reality of God's word manifest in and over our lives, amen? This is something that God has to do. It's possible to know the truth, but have your heart far from the Lord. It's possible to have a form of godliness, but no reality, and so, man, God, this, this, this is beautiful. What, what you just showed me in your word, I want that to be manifest in my life. What am I doing now? I'm responding to the word of God, speaking to my Father, because the Holy Spirit taught me something. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. And no wonder that we got that insight by comparing scripture with scripture, because that's how the Holy Spirit teaches us. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we've received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why? That he might teach us. That we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How does he teach us? By comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It's by, you know, in the Old Testament, it, it says it this way. It's here a little, there a little. It's line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. It's by comparing Scripture with Scripture. As you cross-reference your Bible, the Holy Spirit will give you insight into its truth. More than that, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost helps us to pray. Galatians 4, 6 says, he's in our hearts crying, Abba, Father. See it again in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. We've received, believers receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. We don't know how to pray. Nobody in this room knows how to pray right, really. Um, That's what Romans 8 says, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. (laughs) I mean, I would tell you to turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know how to pray but I don't want to get anybody fighting. Just think it in your heart. Okay, now, get real and like, I don't, I, you gotta tell yourself, I don't really know how to pray, do I? But that's okay, the Holy Spirit's helping us. Just pray. The only way you can fail is not doing it. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there he is indwelling our life, making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You can't do it, but he can. He helps you to pray. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, what is this, right? What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Again, I understand what God's word says. I return it back in prayer. You know, it's interesting. I just threw this in because it was just an interesting note Uh, fascinating to me to see how the Holy Spirit's gonna help Israel pray in the last days. Uh, Check out Zechariah 12, 10. God says, I will pour out, right, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. So how does he help them to pray? And they shall look upon Jesus, right? They shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Praying in the Holy Ghost is a key component in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.18 says we're to be praying always with all prayer and supplication, how? In the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
Okay, that's in this famous passage. Don't, you don't have to turn there, just listen. In Ephesians 6, this is how he wraps up this very famous passage of spiritual warfare. Back in verse 10, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because you have an enemy. You wanna be able to stand against false teachers. You wanna be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. No person is your enemy. Even the false teacher is not your enemy, but the power behind that false teaching, oh man, we're at war with them. We do wrestle against spiritual entities, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is why we need the whole armor of God's word. And as you study Ephesians chapter six and you look at those pieces of the armor and you find out they're actually, it's the word of God that you're dressing yourself in. That's your protection, that's the key to victory. You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not sourced in your willpower, your strength, your, your, your cleverness. That's not the key, it's based on what God said. So we pray and we make, with all perseverance, we're praying in the Holy Spirit. We're making prayer for all saints. Paul says, pray, while you're at it, pray for me, verse 19. Pray that utterance might be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. I wanna say what I'm supposed to say the right way, the way I'm supposed to say it. Spurgeon said prayers must be, every one of them, in the Holy Spirit. The prayer that is not in the Holy Spirit, that is not in the Holy Spirit, is in the flesh. Because what is born of the flesh is flesh. And we are told those who are in the flesh are not able to please God in Romans 8, 8. All that comes of our corrupt nature is defiled and marred and cannot be acceptable with the most holy God. If the heavens are not pure in his sight, how shall the prayers, right, how shall those prayers that are born of the earth be acceptable with him? So here's the solution. The seed of acceptable devotion must come from heaven's storehouse. Only the prayer that comes from God can go to God. So many of God's people just spend their time barking at the Lord about what they want to please themselves in the flesh with no consideration of the will of the Lord, what would be pleasing to him. Again, we gotta, this is why we gotta be students of the word. We need to mind the word of God because those are the prayers that come from God. He says, I am to understand from the expression praying in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Ghost is actually willing to help me pray, that he will, he will tell me how to pray and that when I get to a point where I'm at pause and I cannot express my desires, he will appear in my extremity and make intercession for me, in me, with unexpected groanings according to Romans 8:26. Jesus in his agony was strengthened by an angel. You are to be succored by God himself. Aaron and Hur stayed up the hands of Moses, but the Holy Ghost himself steps, right? The Holy Ghost himself helps you, right? Helps your infirmities. So that's the question on the floor this morning as we close. Are you prayerless? Do you have the, I mean, you said, man, I don't have a prayer life at all. Well, do you have the Holy Ghost indwelling your heart and life? If not, please come forward. Today is the day of salvation. Be saved while it's called today. Jesus died for your sin, not because he just had a good idea. No, the wages of your sin 
the penalty for your sin is so offensive to a holy God that the judgment is death. The only acceptable outcome is death. And he proved that by taking our death upon himself. I mean, you wanna make a point? <laughs> like, really make a point? You say to the, I mean, you say to, not that you can make, you can create anything, but you say to your creation, you disobey my word, you die, and they do it. And to prove it's that serious, you take their wrong upon yourself and you die in their place. It's a big deal. He died for our sin. I mean, we butchered our creator. Why? Because he was willing to allow it and because it was the vehicle that he used to be reckoned our sin in our place. So he dies on the cross of Calvary and he's laying in the grave for three days. He was dead, he was buried, but on the third day he rose to eternal life to be your Lord and Savior. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You will be born again. You will have new life in Christ. But in order to really call on the name of the Lord, you have to recognize, you gotta acknowledge your sin. You gotta acknowledge that you're a sinner before a most holy God. And in repentance of that sin, I don't wanna be one with my sin anymore. I don't wanna follow a life of sin. I wanna follow Jesus. Well, the only way you can follow Jesus is if he's indwelling your life. In repentance of sin, cry out, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, forgive me. According to the truth, the promise, the hope of your gospel, come into my heart and life and save me. I need to be born again. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You won't be ashamed. You'll be born again. Now, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling your life. He'll help you pray. But you're like, ah, yeah, I know I'm saved. But my prayer life is still just real rough. Okay, you need help. Come, come meet with us Tuesday night. Right? The Holy Ghost is gonna help you pray, but God's people are called to help pray with you. Meet with us this Tuesday night for our prayer ministry. I mean, if you're a prayerless person, we'll at least make you do it on Tuesday. Right? Start somewhere, join with us. It's also something that the Word of God calls us to. The work is so critical. We can't accomplish it in our own power. We can't convince anybody. We can't make anybody actually see and understand the truth of the gospel. We can preach it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then God can use that to open somebody's understanding, but it has to be him. He has to bless the endeavor, amen? God has to bless the work. You're like, well, I got, you know, I, man, I, I, got, uh, I got, you know, it's a rough day at work. I got a lot going on, and, and I'm just tired. We have coffee on Tuesday nights. Uh, but that'll mess up my sleep. At least you prayed. And while you're sleepless Tuesday night, you could pray some more. You got a whole prayer list of things that you could be covered and lifting up to the Lord in prayer. You could be obedient to scripture. I'd rather be obedient to scripture and tired than at home making excuses and tired. You say, well, I, I, man, I work on Tuesday nights. Get a better job. Get a better shift, start looking. You say, oh, you don't understand. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm in my career, I'm new, I'm just starting. Okay, see if you can get lunch off. Join us, the staff prays at 11 o'clock every Wednesday morning, okay? You're welcome, you're invited to pray with the staff every Wednesday morning. If you can't meet with us on Tuesday night. If you can't do that, make sure you're with your small group, right? Your Bible study, have times and seasons where you're praying together. 
Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. It's critical to the fruit, the fruitfulness of our ministry. Again, Spurgeon said, true prayer is an astonishing thing. Prevalent intercession is an amazing thing. And if you wanna see something that will really thrill you with a holy wonder, attend a prayer meeting where the Holy Ghost is present in the fullness of his power. And where the brethren pray, not as a matter, right? Not as mere matter of form, but as if filled with all the fullness of God. Such meetings as we've had during the past week are things to marvel at. Behold, it's become a wonder for God's people to really cry. Ah, there are some of you to whom weeping over sinners would be a novelty. Some of you professors to whom agonizing for souls would be a new thing. You do pray for sinners in your usual prayers, but you do not know what it is to travail in birth for souls. You never feel as if your hearts would break if souls be not saved. You do not feel the burden of the Lord laid upon you until you're crushed in the dust and made to groan out. God, have mercy on these poor perishing souls. With some of you, it'd be a great wonder to really be on a blaze. And if we heard you cry, we should be compelled to say, behold the voice of the cry of my people. When this church comes into the maturity of Christ, we will come together and we will agonize in prayer for souls. We got a season of prayer and fasting coming up, okay? Um, is it next Tuesday? Is next Tuesday the 5th? Are we running out of August? I'm a little out of sorts on my calendar. Okay, so ne starting next Tuesday, for two weeks, uh, two weeks of prayer and fasting, uh, you know, what will you say no to the flesh over that in that two weeks of your flesh saying, I'm not getting what I'm wanting, feed me a cheeseburger. No, a cheeseburger is not where the power comes from. And that hunger of my flesh is just teaching me how hungry we as your people are for you to have your way with souls, to have your way with this church, to have your way with sinners. God, would you give me open doors with the lost over these next, you know, this, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday in those two weeks. Trust the Lord to, to build a list of, of loss, the loss that you would love to bring to Jesus. And just start praying for them by name. Call on the Lord. Ask him to open doors. Ask him to give you a, a, a chance to share the gospel and the power of his Holy Spirit. That's his will. And at the end of that season of prayer and fasting, when the Holy Spirit zeroes you in on one or two of those people on that list, go invite them to start a Bible study. And then we'll help you get a Creation of Christ Bible study started with that lost person. And you just start in Genesis and just, just take them on a tour through the Bible and bring them to Jesus. Amen? Father, I come to you now in the name of Christ and Lord. I'm burdened for our church. Lord, I pray every member of MBT, every member of this church would be burdened for their church. Lord, some here are the idea of having an Ephesians 4 involvement in this local church. They would, or, or people in their life, they would let people in their life convince them, but they'd end up viewing it as, as cultish, like that they're responsible for the spiritual growth of their brothers and sisters. Well, that's unreasonable, and yet that's exactly what your word requires. 
If we're born again, if Christ shed his blood to buy us back from our sin, then we are required to submit to him as Lord. Why call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said. You do not the things that I say. Lord, we don't want to be guilty of that. Some people today need to dedicate their lives to Christ. Others need to rededicate. They got derailed. They need to rededicate their lives to Christ. Some just need to be saved, born again. Lord, others of us need to repent of our prayerlessness because we won't effectively combat the false teaching that's surrounding us if the Holy Ghost isn't helping us. Lord, we're your people. You're the living God. Have your way with us right now, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.